Hello and welcome to the reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for today. Today is Tuesday, January 24. I'm your reader, Kathleen. From the front page of the Gazette today, GOP bill jeopardizes $312 million bond vote. And it's accompanied by a photograph of Marion Independent School District Superintendent Janelle Brower as she delivers a speech March 8, 2022, during the groundbreaking ceremony for the Marion High School Sports Complex. And the article today is by Grace King and Aaron Murphy. The Cedar Rapids Community School District would be required to post a 10% down payment on its planned $312 million general bond referendum, $31.2 million this fall under a proposal from Republican leaders in the Iowa House. Under House File 1, any school district in Iowa would be required to deposit at least 10% of the total cost of the project for which the bonds are to be issued. If the referendum is approved by voters, those funds would have to be used for the project. Such a requirement would not be possible for the Cedar Rapids District, said Carla Hogan, Executive Director of Business Services for the district. Instead, the district would be forced to piecemeal the project possibly taking smaller bond referendums to voters every two years. That's really difficult because one part of the plan impacts the other, she said. The 10-year facilities plan proposed by the district is more fiscally responsible, she said. Representative Bobby Kaufman, a Republican from Wilton, who leads the Iowa House's Committee on Tax Policy, said the goal of the legislation is to start a conversation on ways to reduce property taxes. The proposal is co-sponsored by Iowa Speaker of the House, Pat Grassley. Kaufman said the proposals are not set in stone, but that any school or local government leaders who have concerns should come to him with alternate proposals. That includes the 10% payment requirement for bonding, Kaufman said. When it comes to some bonding referendums, there have been some bad actors, certainly not all by any stretch, but there certainly have been some bad actors in terms of not necessarily financing within their means, Kaufman said. However, establishing a baseline for how everybody should operate on financing is important. The goal is certainly not to eliminate bonding. The goal is to make sure that it's practical and fiscally responsible, which a lot of schools and cities are already there, Kaufman added. But this is the conversation starter to say, hey, we're going to have all the rules for everybody laid out so there can't be any bad actors. And the overall goal is to reduce property tax burdens. Iowa Senator Dan Dawson, a Republican from Council Bluffs, who leads the Senate's Tax Policy Committee, said he is happy that House Republicans have proposed something that creates a debate around property tax laws, but he fell short of endorsing the plan. Dawson said Senate Republicans will be proposing their own property tax legislation and that it will take a different approach than House Republicans' proposal. What I really appreciate in the House bill is that we're all talking about big ideas, Dawson said. We're going to take a different track but at least we're talking about bigger ideas of how to reform the system. 
Organizations that represent Iowa school boards and school administrators oppose the bill, and specifically the portion that adds the down payment requirement starting July 1. The bill also includes an extensive notification process to voters of an upcoming bond referendum. The School Administrators of Iowa opposes the bill because of what it calls the burdensome expectations it puts on school districts. Executive Director Lisa Ramey said, The Iowa Association of School Boards says the proposal would limit the ability for a school district to seek an election to issue bonds. It is likely that districts will not have the ability to designate and deposit 10% in their current funds to be set aside to be used solely for the project, said Sean Snyder, the school board organization's finance expert. The reason to hold a bond election is to get approval from the voters to pay for the specific proposals. Funds schools could consider using for the 10% down payment include the Physical Plant and Equipment Levy, or PEPL, an annual property tax levy that can be used to maintain school buildings complete site improvements, and purchase school equipment, and secure an advanced vision for education, or SAVE, is a sales tax for school infrastructure. But Cedar Rapids Schools Interim Superintendent Art Sadoff said no school can budget for a new elementary or high school with just SAVE or PEPL. Bond referendums are necessary to continue making improvements to Iowa schools, he said. Another way districts could fund these projects is wealthy donors, Sadoff said. If you're in line for a $300 million inheritance, we'd let you share it with us, he joked. In Iowa, school bond issues, basically loans that schools take out typically for 10, 15, or 20 years, require a supermajority of 60% of voters in the district to pass. In passing them, voters agree to repay the loan with interest through their property tax. Marion Independent School District Superintendent Janelle Brower said Iowa schools would never be able to take a school bond referendum large enough to maintain adequate facilities under the proposal. The reality is we would never be able to bond the amount necessary, she said. Marion Independent voters approved a $31 million bond issue last March enabling the district to move forward on a facilities plan that includes building an elementary school, auditorium, and outdoor activities complex at Marion High School, and making repairs to other district buildings. The measure passed with 84.6% of the vote. Given a district is expected to spend about 100% of the general fund annually, we would not ever have the capacity through the physical plant and equipment levy and secure advanced vision for education to go for a $30 million plus general obligation bond, Brower said. The Cedar Rapids School District is proposing a $312 million bond referendum, possibly being taken to the voters in September, to fund 10 years of improvements to its middle and high schools. The district is using save money to fund improvements to its elementary a 2016, or excuse me, 2018 facilities master plan includes building 10 elementary schools and renovating three over the next 15 to 20 years in the Cedar Rapids district. This process included the closure and repurposing of eight schools.
Mount Vernon School Superintendent Greg Batenhorst said the proposed legislation is another barrier to districts and communities to get the work done that they feel is needed to run a district effectively. This is just another sign of a lack of trust I just do not understand. For a 1,400-student school district like Mount Vernon, 10% down on a $15 million, which would be $1.5 million, is a tall task, Batenhorst said. Where does this down payment come from? I don't understand what problem this legislation is trying to solve, Batenhorst said. Also on the front page, private tuition assistance bill is on its way to Reynolds' desk. This story by Aaron Murphy, Tom Barton, and Caleb McCullough. A state-funded private school finance assistance package costing $345 million a year was making its way late Monday to Governor Kim Reynolds' desk where her signature would seal her top legislative priority into state law. After more than five hours of debate, the bill passed the Iowa House on Monday evening. The chamber was considered the final potential stumbling block for the proposal. The Senate was debating the bill but was widely expected to pass it. Reynolds will sign the legislation into law today, her office said, during National School Choice Week. The House, which did not have enough votes to pass similar proposals each of the past two years, despite its Republican majorities, passed the governor's new, much broader proposal with a 55 to 45 vote. Only Republicans voted to support the bill, and nine Republicans joined Democrats in opposition. Applause broke out among House Republicans after the vote. If a current public school isn't working for a child, those parents need to have a choice. Representative John Wills, a Republican from Spirit Lake, and floor manager of the bill in the House said during debate, that's what this bill is going to allow. We don't want to force them to stay in a public school that doesn't work for them, that doesn't fit them, just because of the zip code they live in. After the failures of the previous two proposals, Reynolds made what she calls school choice a top issue of her 2022 re-election campaign, which she won by a decisive 17 percentage points. However, this year's proposal is dramatically more expensive than the previous two. While the previous proposals were narrower and more limited in scope, this proposal eventually would make nearly $7,600 in state funding available to every Iowa student who intends a private school. There are 33,692 Iowa students enrolled in private schools in the 2022-23 school year, according to the State Education Department. Reynolds' proposal, House File 68, would create taxpayer-funded educational savings accounts valued at $7,598 in the first year, which is the amount the state spends per pupil on public K-12 education that families could use for private school tuition and other educational expenses. The program would be phased in over three years. In the third year, all K-12 students, including private school students, would be eligible for the funding with no income restrictions. The plan also provides new funding to public districts, estimated at just more than $1,200 per student, for those who live in the district but attend private schools, 
and it removes some restraints on other state funding to allow schools to spend that money on teachers' salaries. Supporters argue the legislation would make attending a private school possible for more Iowa students, and that taxpayer funding should be used to support any Iowa family who wishes to send their children to a private school. The focus of school choice isn't about schools. It isn't about teachers. It isn't about any of those things. The focus of school choice is about kids, Will said during the more than five hours of debate in the House. It's about parents having the ability to be in the driver's seat for their kids' sake. This is about parents needing something different. They're desperate. Some parents are desperate for a change. We're going to offer that for them. Opponents countered that the state is responsible for funding public schools, that state programs already exist to help private school students, and that creating a new $345 million annual funding stream for private schools will put future funding of public schools at risk. Critics of the bill also note that taxpayer funding should not go to private schools that are not held to the same reporting requirements as public schools, and because private schools can choose which students to accept and which to reject. Public schools accept all kids. Private schools pick and choose, said Representative Jennifer Confers, leader of the House Democrats from Windsor Heights. This is not about school choice. This is about school administrator choice. Democrats derided the program's price tag, saying those funds could better be used to subsidize public college tuition, expand pre-K access, or boost public school funding. Several Democrats raised the contention that private schools are allowed to turn away or drop from enrollment children with special needs, learning disabilities, or behavioral issues. Public schools are required by law to create individualized education plans for students with special needs, but private schools do not have the same requirements. Representative Heather Matson, a Democrat from Ankeny, said a student in her district with autism, named Brandon, would likely not be accepted at a private school. There is no choice for him because no private school will accept him because of his disabilities, she said. But Brandon is accepted and his teachers and staff who work hard for him in the Ankeny School District. Representative Schuyler Wheeler, a Republican from Hall who chairs the House Education Committee, said the plan allows parents who do not have the financial means to choose a school that's best for their children. This is about students. It's not about systems, he said. Tonight, in a historic fashion, the state of Iowa is going to uphold and uplift every family in the state. Wheeler called warnings that the plan would lead to consolidation and closure of rural schools, doom and gloom saying the same concerns had been floated with past laws that ultimately had little impact on rural schools. Representative Thomas Moore, a Republican from Griswold and one of the nine Republicans who voted against the bill, said he voted no because of strong opposition from his constituents. Even though his southwest Iowa district is strongly Republican, Moore said his constituents were calling on him to vote against the bill. My vote came down to my constituents, he said. I represent them. I don't represent myself, although I was opposed. Moore said he opposed the bill's high price tag and the fact a portion of the taxpayer funding will go to families who can already afford private schools. 
to me, being a fiscal conservative, to give 33,000 people new money that they have already been spending on their own and don't really need. On me, that's money that we could be using for other purposes here at the Capitol, Moore said. Democrats who are in the minority in both chambers argued that Republicans, with their agenda-setting majorities, took actions in both chambers that limited debate on the bill. In the House, Republicans created a new Educational Reform Committee in which to debate the bill, then wrote and approved a new chamber rule that said even though the bill contains new state pending, it is not required to go through the Budget Committee. We shouldn't be passing legislation or rules that circumvent the process or eliminate input from the public or each other, Converse said. To the 39 new members of this chamber, I am so sorry that your first vote is on one that circumvents the process and that allows less oversight on incredibly expensive legislation. In the Senate, Republicans used a debate process rule that effectively made it so Democrats could not introduce amendments. It is a willful, blatant way of cutting everybody out from perfecting the bill and listening to our constituents who sent us hundreds of emails about what's wrong with it, said Senator Bill Dotzler, a Democrat from Waterloo. Why wouldn't you want to listen to the public? Why wouldn't you want to listen to somebody who might have a good idea? I've been here longer than any other senator in this room, Dotzler said, and I've never seen anything so blatant in all my years. Earlier Monday, the nonpartisan Legislative Services Agency issued its highly anticipated fiscal analysis Reynolds, to Reynolds' proposal just hours ahead of floor debate on the bill. The agency projects the proposal will cost $345 million annually once fully implemented. The nonpartisan agencies estimates closely align with those made earlier by Reynolds's office, which predicted the program would cost $341 million when fully implemented. Turning now to page two on the Iowa Today page, this story by Emily Anderson, a Marion man, age 83, missing for over a week. An 83-year-old Marion man has been missing since January 16th, according to a news release from the Marion Police Department. Theodore, known as Ted Wolf, is 5 feet 9 inches tall and weighs 224 pounds. He has brown eyes and gray hair. He was last seen driving a red 2018 Ford Edge Titanium with the license plate EL779. Wolf left his home January 16th without his cell phone and would have been headed from Lisbon via Highway 13 and Highway 30 for an appointment. He never arrived at his appointment. His car was last spotted on a traffic camera at 2.14 p.m. January 16th in a turn lane off Highway 13, about to head east on Mount Vernon Road. Police learned Monday that Wolf was involved in a minor vehicle accident around 4 p.m. January 16 in Johnson County. The accident happened on Highway 965 at Amana Road. Law enforcement was not called to the scene. Wolf and the other driver exchanged information and Wolf left. He was seen heading west on County Road 120 from Highway 965 toward Swisher. An airplane was used to search the area for Wolf's car, but nothing was found, the release states. 
Police are asking anyone between Marion and Lisbon or in the surrounding areas who may have seen Wolf's car to immediately call the Marion Police Department at 319-377-1511. They are also asking anyone who owns an outbuilding or a seldom-used property to check the property to see if Wolf may be parked there. Also on the Iowa Today page, Iowa City students learn to handle anxiety in a mental health room. This story by Grace King. After seeing too many of their peers at Iowa City West High School crying in hallways, Helalia Wakalala, 18, and Neo Oya, 17, both seniors, advocated for a space where students can have their feelings before returning to class. The school converted a classroom into a N-E-S-T-T, which stands for Navigating Emotions and Stress Through Training, where students can check in at any time during the school day to learn mindfulness, emotional regulation, and distress tolerance. It's like a home away from home where students can feel safe, said Wa Kalala, co-president with Oya of a mental health advocacy club at West High. Wa Kalala was hospitalized for crippling anxiety earlier in the pandemic. Before that experience, mental health was not something her family talked about, she said. I realized so many of my friends were growing through the same thing and they didn't know what to do, she said. I don't blame my parents for not understanding. It's not the culture they grew up in. Having someone at school to talk to would have helped me so much. Students can visit the nest any time throughout the school day if they need help navigating a mental health situation or stress. Their time and activity is monitored by trained staff members and check-in and check-out forms. The goal is for students to spend no more than 15 minutes in the nest focused on learning or practicing a coping skill before returning to class. Skills or tools offered at NEST include art, talking with staff, playing with fidget toys, and listening to music. Students have the opportunity to write their emotions in a comment box. Many responses have mentioned feeling anxious, worried, nervous, stressed, or overwhelmed when they come to the NEST. Students indicate they feel better when they leave than when they arrived. The first step in caring for yourself is acknowledging when you need a minute or a break from something that is stressing you out, said Laura Daly, Iowa City Schools Director of Learning Supports. The NEST validates we all have those feelings, encourages students to take that first step, and teaches simple skills to help them when things feel stressful. The first NEST started in January 2021 at Iowa City High. The concept was created by students, school counselors, school social workers, and teachers. The school received an $11,000 grant from the Big Idea Hunt, a program funded by the Foundation for the Iowa City Community School District to purchase equipment, including furniture, books, and other resources. This school year, the model was recreated at every secondary school in Iowa City. About 2,500 students have used the nest across the district schools, according to board documents. About a third of 14- to 18-year-olds were experiencing a mental health crisis each year before the pandemic, Daly said, and schools were becoming a space where students could reach out for mental health support. 
Everyone holds stress differently, and once you know how it feels, you will start to notice it in your body earlier and allow you to use the tools you've learned to mitigate those feelings before they become overwhelming, Daly said. Also in Iowa Today News, this story by Vanessa Miller, by the time the University of Iowa Student Union celebrates its 100th anniversary in 2025, administrators expect the campus hub will be deep into an $81.1 million renovation that includes swapping its historic Iowa House Hotel for a new campus well-being and mental health center. And the title of this article, UI Replaces IMU Hotel. The current Iowa House Hotel, which will close in late 2023 or early 2024, will be converted into space for services such as student counseling and student care and be near other student services already located in the IMU, according to the UI Office of Strategic Communication. Renovations to the 326,000-square-foot Iowa Memorial Union, built in 1925 at the corner of Jefferson and Madison Streets, adjacent Hubbard Park, will begin in the summer of 2024 and unite a range of well-being and mental health services under one roof including clinical care and counseling. Other wellness programming and student care resources planned for the new center include the UI food pantry and case management services for students experiencing emergencies, according to the UI Office of Strategic Communication. Bringing so many of the well-being and mental health services for students into one place will allow them to address multiple facets of their physical, and mental health needs at once, UI Vice President for Student Life Sarah Hansen said in a statement. Co-locating such services in the center of campus makes them more accessible and ensures our students have the support they need to excel in their Iowa experience. The planned IMU renovations, coming a decade after UI restored its union, devastated in the 2008 flood, also include updated meeting space, ballrooms, multi-purpose rooms, and food service options. The total project cost is $81.1 million, broken up into two phases, to allow for continued use of as many spaces as possible during the process. UI officials hope to finish the first phase in time for the Union's 100th birthday anniversary in 2025. <clears throat> the second phase is expected to cost the remaining $17.4 million with the UI planning to spend $20 million of the total in the upcoming budget year. Centralizing and united stu- uniting student mental health and wellness services feeds a key tenant of the UI's 2022-27 strategic plan to foster holistic well-being and success by providing a comprehensive foundation of support for individuals throughout all stages of their relationship with the university. Its people are the University of Iowa's most important resource, according to the plan, debuted at a time of heightened awareness around mental health following a pandemic that upended higher education and disrupted college-bound students in their formative teens and early 20s. The pandemic compelled the university to engage in new ways of teaching and working and highlighted the importance of attention to health and well-being per the UI plan. 
These experiences informed a series of strategies to better support the success and wellness of the university's people as individuals and as a community. Although UI's enrollment has trended down in recent years, its university counseling service has seen an expansion, if not explosion, in demand for services, compelling it to embed provisions in colleges and residence halls, offering more group and online services, and seek more mental health-specific state support. Within UI Student Health, psychiatric visits have surged even as demand for other services has dropped in recent years. UI Student Health reported 3,400 psychiatric visits in fiscal 22, up from fewer than 3,000 in 2019. Going back to 2018, UI psych visits are up 40%, according to a recent student health report. The university, following years of research, planning, and reviewing multiple options for a campus well-being and mental health center, identified repurposed space in the IMU as the most practical, timely, and cost-efficient plan. The Iowa House Hotel features a range of double, queen, and king rooms and suites with river views and capacity for two to six guests at a cost of $95 to $220 a night, depending on the time of year. Amenities include free access to the campus fitness center, the campus shuttle, and all IMU services. The union, which opened in 1925, has, for its near century in existence, offered some form of dining, housing, and campus employment. Over the years, it's evolved into a form of entertainment venue, offering games, hosting concerts, and welcoming speakers, politicians, and the governing board of regents. The union opened a non-alcoholic nightclub in the 1930s and added a bowling alley, snack bar, and billiard space in 1955. The 2008 flood devastated the Union, like so many buildings across campus, and UI in 2015 unveiled its restored IMU, including an updated food court, coffee shop, and learning commons. By reinvesting in the Union, UI also is addressing deferred maintenance needs in the aging building, adding up to $55 million. Replacing the entire Union would cost about $245 million, officials reported, citing the decision to go with the $81.1 million in upgrades. You are listening to the reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for today, Tuesday, January 24, on IWIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. And now we turn to today's obituary page, beginning with the short notices. First in Cedar Rapids, Laurel R. Sills, age 91, died Saturday, January 21st, Cedar Memorial Park Funeral Home. Also in Cedar Rapids, Marlis M. Tandy, 87, died Saturday, January 21st, Murdoch Funeral Home and Cremation Service, Marion. From Decorah, Gerald Bakken, 90, died Friday, January 6th, Helms Funeral Home. In Deep River, Michael L. Souter, age 87, died Saturday, January 21st. Powell Funeral Home is in charge. In Elgin, Patricia Klein, age 93, died Thursday, January 19. Leonard Grau Funeral Home and Cremation Service. In Maquoketa, Alan R. Snore, 67, 
died Friday, January 20th. Carson Celebration of Life Center. In Springville, Karen A. Evans, 83, died Monday, January 23. Murdoch Funeral Home and Cremation Service, Marion. In Tipton, Robert, known as Bob Lloyd Thuma, 94, died Monday, January 23. Fry Funeral Home is assisting. In West Branch, Timothy, known as Tim J. Rockefeller, 66, died Friday, January 20. Lensing Funeral and Cremation Service, Iowa City. And in one other death, Andrew Joseph Ottaway, age 52, of Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin, died Wednesday, January 18. Thornburg Grau Funeral Home and Cremation Service. Turning now to the regular notices, first from Tipton, Lewis, known as Louis A. Cook, age 77, lifetime resident of Tipton, died peacefully in his sleep Saturday, January 21st at Cedar Manor Care Center in Tipton following a short illness. Private family time is planned to celebrate Louis's life. Memorial donations can be mailed to the funeral home to be passed on to his family to donate to causes that were important to Louis. To share a thought, memory, or condolence, please visit Gay and Chia Funeral and Cremation Service. In Cedar Rapids, Paul Martin Hunt, age 67, passed away Friday, January 20, at the University of Iowa Hospital. Although this is a time of great sadness for our family, we chose to honor his spirit with a celebration of life gathering to reflect on the memories we had of such a great man. Please join our family for this celebration at the Cedar Memorial Family Center and Library within the Cedar Memorial Park Cemetery in Cedar Rapids, Saturday, January 28th, from 11.30 to 1 p.m. A full obituary is available online at cedarmemorial.com. In Cedar Rapids, Edward J. Coza, Jr., age 86, of Cedar Rapids, passed away Saturday, January 21st. A funeral service celebrating his life will be held at 10.30 a.m., Friday, January 27th, at the Cedar Memorial Chapel of Memories. Entombment will be in the Cedar Memorial Park Cemetery. Visitation will be held from 5 to 7 p.m. Thursday at the Cedar Memorial Chapel State Room. Memorials may be given in his name to Camp Courageous, 12007, 190th Street in Monticello, 52310. You can leave online condolences at cedarmemorial.com. From Watkins, Jerry James Jones, age 74, died at home surrounded by his family Friday, January 20, after fighting lung cancer. A visitation for Jerry will be held from 1 to 2 p.m., Tuesday, January 24, at Hint Funeral Home in Leroy, Minnesota. A small gathering of family and friends will gather for a graveside service at 2.30 p.m. at Chester Hill Cemetery in Chester, Iowa. In Cedar Rapids, Michael, known as Rat Carolyn, age 79, passed away Friday, January 20, at home. Family and friends will gather for a celebration of life from noon to 2 p.m. on Sunday, 
January 29th at Stuart Baxter Funeral and Memorial Services in Cedar Rapids and will continue afterwards until 6 p.m. at 2nd Avenue Corner Pocket, 609 2nd Avenue Southwest, Cedar Rapids. Online condolences can be left at Mike's web, uh, excuse me, obituary in StuartBaxter.com. Also in Cedar Rapids, Robert Frank Barda, age 98, passed away Saturday, January 21st, at the Dennis and Donna Oldorf Hospice House of Mercy. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. Wednesday, January 25th, at Brosh Chapel and the Ava Center in Cedar Rapids, 2121 Bowling Street Southwest. Funeral Mass will be at 10 a.m. Thursday, January 26th, at St. Wenceslaus Catholic Church. Burial to follow at St. John's Catholic Cemetery, where full military rites will be conducted. Online condolences may be expressed to the family at broshchapel.com. And from Marion, Sharon Marie Schoberl, age 80, of Marion, passed away Sunday, January 22nd at the Terrence Glen Village Community in Marion. Family will greet friends and family from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday, January 26th at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Marion. A funeral mass will follow at 10 a.m. on Thursday at the church, conducted by Rev. David O'Connor. Burial will take place at Sacred Heart Catholic Cemetery in Walker, Iowa. Murdoch Funeral Home and Cremation Service of Marion is assisting the family. And you may share a memory of Sharon at Murdoch Funeral Home. Dot com. From Norway, Bonnie May Brecht, age 75, passed away Monday, January 16th at Colonial Manor Care Center in Amana following a short illness. Mass of Christian burial is 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, January 24th at St. Michael's Catholic Church in Norway. Visitation will be one hour prior to the service at the church. Burial will be at St. Michael's Cemetery, Norway. Memorials may be directed to Essence of Life Hospice, Amana. Online condolences can be left for the family at newhousefuneralservice.com. Brosh Funeral Service of Norway is assisting the family. And from Onslow, Ralph Martins, husband, father, and friend, passed away Wednesday, January 18th from complications following surgery. Private services will be held for the family. Burial will be in Scotch Grove Cemetery. <clears throat> Please visit GetchOnline.com to share your thoughts, memories, stories, and condolences to Ralph's family. Turning now to the sports page, this story, Prairie's Erica Brockovich Finds Love for Wrestling by K.J. Pilcher. Erica Brockovich recalled how her mom approached her about going out for rec- wrestling Brockovich was in the middle of softball season and decided to attend a summer workout. A couple practices at a camp with former Cedar Rapids Prairie legend Barry Davis, and Brockovich was hooked. I loved it, Brockovich said. I fell in love with the sport, and I was like, I'm going to do this. Brockovich proved it was a good decision, recording a notable decision over Cedar Falls' fifth-ranked Lauren Nicholas in the Tigers' 40-39 victory in the Mississippi Valley Conference duel Thursday night at Prairie. Rankings didn't phase Brockovich, who defeated Nicholas 6-1 to 
in the 155-pound match. I did know, Brockovich said, about Nichols' top five ranking. Going in, I was like, well, rankings don't mean anything. I'm just going to come in, work my hardest, and do what I do best. That is what I did. Wrestling took a hold of her in the off-season. She opted for club wrestling over club softball in the fall. Brockovich started competing in the off-season, preparing for the varsity without a single win. I got my losses out of the way for the real season, she said. I chose wrestling. It was probably the best decision I have ever made. The choice was led has led to 25 victories for Brockovich. Her win was a prime example of Prairie coach Zach Bechichka's pre-meet message. That was a big win, Bechichka said. We had a chat in the room that this team is tough, but we're tough too. We've put you through some pretty hard workouts, and you've always pushed through, and I think that helped our girls. Erica really showed up, and a lot of girls showed up tonight. The postseason begins Friday. The Hawks will compete in a regional at the Alliant Energy Powerhouse. She has aspirations to reach the state tournament. I'm very excited, a little nervous as anyone should be, Brockovich said. I'm looking forward to it. My first one and last one of my high school per career. I plan to come out hard and do what I do best. In boys basketball, this story by Jeff Johnson, Xavier and Marion in the top five in Class 3A. Metro boys basketball in Class 3A is pretty good right now. Okay, really good. Cedar Rapids, Xavier, and Marion are top five teams in the class in the latest Iowa High School Athletic Association poll released Monday. Top four teams, actually. Xavier comes in at number two this week behind only top-ranked Bondurant Farrar. The Blue Jays are the only unbeaten team remaining in the class at 13-0. and Xavier, at 10-3, and moved up from third last week after going 1-1 one and one against a pair of ranked teams in Class 4A. The Saints beat number 9 Waterloo West at home 67-37, to with the Wahawks playing that game without three starters who were suspended. Xavier then dropped a close 62-59 to decision to 10th-ranked Cedar Falls. Marion, at 12-3, and was a big mover this week, going from 7th to 4th. The Wolves have won six games in a row and ten of their last eleven. Their losses have been by two points to Bondurant Farrar and to four A teams, Cedar Rapids Kennedy and Iowa City High. Kennedy remains number one in 4A this week after a pair of victories, including an impressive 22-point victory at then number eight Dubuque Senior. Senior dropped one spot this week to number nine, Waukee and Waukee Northwest flipped the second and third spots in 4A after Waukee beat Northwest 77-55 to on Friday night. Central Lion and Grandview Christian remain number one in Class 2A and 1A, respectively. Applington Parkersburg is second in 2A, with Albernette falling from sixth to ninth after a 64-47 loss Friday night to North Lynn. The Lynx at 14 and 0 have handed Alburnett 13 and 2 its two losses this season. North Lynn remains second in Class 1A. The top seven in that class remain the same this week, with Baxter and Lamar's Galen joining the ranks at ninth and tenth, respectively. 
They replaced Linville Sully and Bellevue Marquette, who lost games for the first time this season last week. Turning to the community page, here are some things to do today. Puzzle exchange. After dropping off a puzzle earlier this month, you can now pick up a new-to-you puzzle at the circulation death at the desk at the Hiawatha Public Library. That is at 150 West Wilman Street in Hiawatha, and that exchange is open from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. And in the museum category, Czech photographer Hansa Sakar's photographs stand as a counterpoint to digital perfectionism using the wet collodion photography process, which can only be described as magical amalgamation of chemicals, light, and plenty of patience. The exhibit features iconic points of interest in South Moravia, including meadows, forests, castles, historical sites, and local celebrities. That's at the National Czech and Slovak Museum and Library, open from 9.30 to 4. And the community page article today is titled, Yeti Hunt. Legend says the Yeti lives in the Himalayan peaks of Asia, yet some people are spotting it in Johnson County parks this winter. Johnson County Conservation is challenging outdoor enthusiasts, a distinction open to everyone, to get out and explore about a dozen county parks through mid-March to find the Yeti. It's eight feet tall and four feet wide, said Kristen Morrow, education specialist for Johnson County Conservation. If you've made it to the right park and found the right spot, you definitely won't miss it. During the COVID-19 pandemic, the county started looking for ways to encourage people to get outside, even in the winter, when many of us become rooted to our couch. Conservation officials started holding scavenger hunts featuring pumpkins and elves in county parks. People who aren't inanely into hiking need that extra boost of thrill to find their goal, Morrow said. Definitely, I spy things during the year are super popular. The Yeti first appeared in Johnson County in 2021, with county officials finding four different spots for her to hang out during the winter months. Sixty families found her all four weeks, and dozens of others found her at least once. The level of engagement was surprising, especially given one hike was three miles and the weather that week didn't get above 10 degrees, Morrow said. The winter in 2021 was a dad and a five-year-old girl, she noted. The challenge this year is the same. Read the clues on the Johnson County Conservation website, johnsoncountyiowa.gov slash conservation slash events and use the county's collection of park guides to figure out where the Yeti might be hiding. Go visit the park, take a photo of yourself with the Yeti and email the photo tomorrow at kmorrow, that's M-O-R-R-O-W, at johnsoncountyiowa.gov. People tracking the Yeti should be comfortable navigating and visiting more primitive park settings and hiking from one to four miles, sometimes off trails. About 12 Johnson County parks are big enough to allow hikers to walk at least a mile to find the Yeti, Morrow said. Roadside parks and campgrounds are excluded. The Yeti will stay in the same location for two to three weeks. The dates that she will appear somewhere new are January 10, 
January 30, and February 20, also March 6. The last clue, January 10 through 30, is, quote, Take a step back in time to the land of majestic oaks and wild fruit. You'll have to look left and right off the beaten path toward the shaded heart of this geological gem. Make sure to take time to wander, though small the marshy views here are stunning. And the list of Johnson County parks include Conglesta Wakan in Solon, Cedar River Crossing, Chia Fen Preserve, Clear Creek Area, F.W. Kent Park, Frytown Conservation Area, Hills Access, Peckman Creek Delta, River Junction, Scott Church Park, the Solon Prairie, Sutliff Access, Walker Park, and Williams Prairie State Preserve. Turning to the Business 380 page, this story is by Katie Mills Giorgio, a correspondent, Cooking with Gia. Kelly Cole has always loved to cook. When she started looking for a way to turn that love into a business, she decided on offering personalized cooking classes, both in person and online. I offer ways to connect with family and friends that, if you're local, can be in person, or if you are across the country and you don't get to see family and friends or can't travel, we create a virtual dinner party, Cole said. I'm Italian and I grew up learning that it was a rite of passage for families to come together and bond over food, so I can offer that instruction and facilitation through the class that brings people together over delicious food. I love to teach people, and this is such a fun way to do it, she said, of launching Gia's Italian Kitchen a few years ago. When we cook something together and they love it, it just warms your heart. The concept is simple. Cole sets a menu based on the requests of the person hosting the cooking class. She preps and tests the recipes. Then during the class, she leads attendees step-by-step step through the cooking process. Each week, whether in person or online, is taught real-time, too. I don't cook anything ahead of time, so that when we start, whether I'm in person or virtual, everything is out on the island. Nothing is chopped up, and we start from square one together, she said, noting that she loves to take questions during the class. I want it to be 100% interactive. I want people to stop by me and say, wait, how much basil did you put in there? Or, can you go over that part again? Because I didn't see it. That's different than a lot of other classes you see on TV. This isn't just looking at a recipe on the Internet. Cole said the pandemic boosted interest in her online classes since people weren't able to gather in person, but were still looking for ways to connect. The virtual parties are a lot of fun. No matter what, I love meeting new people, and I love hearing their stories and what brought them together, she said. Everyone has a story. And with the online format, Cole can accommodate people all over the country and groups of all sizes, including corporate team-building sessions. I have a lot, or excuse me, I have a group of seven coming up, but then I have one in a few weeks that will be almost 200 people, she said. Cole offers some short cooking video tips on her website and Facebook page to give people an idea of what a Gia's Italian Kitchen session will be like. My mom does help me sometimes and comes into episodes as my sidekick, 
That's super fun because she tells me stories while we cook, she said. Some of these recipes were my grandmother's, and we've just written them down in the past few years. They were all in our heads until now. If you go, it's called Gia's Italian Kitchen. The owner is Kelly Cole. She can be reached at this email address, Kelly, that's K-E-L-L-E-Y, at giasitalienkitchen.biz. She has an, a website, giasitalienkitchen.biz, or a Facebook presence at Gia's Italian Kitchen. Finishing up now with the weather story, the darkest day of the year was just less than a month ago on the winter solstice, but when is the coldest day of the year? The coldest average high temperature in Cedar Rapids is 27 degrees on January 17 or 18. After January 18, the average high will gradually increase until we reach Cedar Rapids' highest average normal of 83. The coldest day of the year doesn't fall on the winter solstice because it takes time for the earth to cool down after we receive less daylight. Looking for a high of 32 today in Cedar Rapids and a low of 22. Our average high today is 28 and the average low is 11. The records set for for today are a high of 59 set in 1981 and a record low of 23 below zero set in 2008. The chance of snow appears in the forecast for Wednesday and again on Friday, those highs hovering in the low 30s. Sunset tonight is at 5.11 p.m., sunrise tomorrow at 7.26 a.m. That leaves us 9 hours and 44 minutes of daylight. And we're in the new moon phase with moon rise at 9.30 a.m. and set at 8.54 p.m. And that does it for today's reading of the Cedar Rapids Gazette for Tuesday, January 24. I've been your reader, Kathleen. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening and have a great, safe day.
from the Bureau of Economic Geology, this is Earth Date. Sometimes we have too much electricity, but more often, grid operators are carefully managing its production to be sure that we have enough. So, a lot of work has gone into trying to store excess electricity to use later when we need it. The obvious solution, giant batteries, is still too expensive for most applications and has environmental implications. This has led scientists to look for other ways. One method uses surplus power to compress air and pump it into old salt mines. The salt tends to seal cracks in the walls, making the mines airtight. When needed, the compressed air can be released to turn a turbine, or it can be used as the intake air for a natural gas power plant, making the plant more productive. Another way to store excess energy is to pump water uphill into existing reservoirs and then release it through hydroelectric dams when power is needed. This method was pioneered 100 years ago in Italy and Switzerland and is used today around the world and in many U.S. states like Michigan. On the Chilean coast, they're even experimenting with using solar energy to pump seawater up a cliff where it could flow down to make power at night. These solutions don't make economic sense unless the electricity is very cheap and the reservoir was already built for another purpose. But when those two things are present, pumping air and water to store energy plays a valuable role in balancing the grid to meet our ever-changing power demands. For Earth Date, I'm Scott Tinker. Earth Date is produced by the Bureau of Economic Geology at the University of Texas at Austin with support from Schlumberger, helping oil and gas companies increase production and efficiency while lowering environmental impact. You can hear more EarthDate stories at earthdate.org.